0: Okay, welcome to uh, Wednesday night, night number two, night number two, are we ready for night number two? Just observing where people chose to sit tonight based on their experience last week. (laughs) (laughs) Great expectations and great anticipation about what's going to happen tonight uh, abounds with the group. So uh, glad you're all here with us. I left last Wednesday um, energized, invigorated, and eager for this uh, journey to continue together. So we will open in prayer and then uh, talk about some things, talk about some things. Uh, Father God, we come this evening to you, we come before you, and we come into your presence asking for your spirit to be with us as we seek to hear from you through your word, through the gospel of Matthew, and as we um, prepare ourselves to receive your word, uh, we just ask for graciousness to abound from you and in our midst with ourselves and with each other. We pray for open and honest dialogue and open and honest curiosity as it comes to why things are the way they are within your word and also how we are receiving them today and how we can faithfully uh, hear from you through your word and through each other and through the movement of your spirit. So be with us tonight uh, as we seek to honor and glorify you with our gathering and fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... um, I wanted to do this last week, and just with full uh, disclosure, I chickened out. (laughs) So we are going to do this tonight. So I'm going to throw uh, this red one, Cardinal Red, Yankton Buck Red, that way. And you guys are going to have to throw it to the other side. And then I'm going to throw this more um, scarlet. That way, and then you guys are going to have to propel it to the other side. So if it comes near you, grab it, hold on to the string, and proceed to fling it to somebody uh, on the other side of the room. We'll see how this goes. See, it doesn't go very well. It's close to you. So grab it and throw it. it. Yep, throw it to somebody on the opposite side of the room. I should have grabbed it out of the middle. I'm not a yarnster a spinster. Yeah, go. Chuck it in whichever direction you prefer. So I'm going to throw it this way. Hey, look at that. You can feel free to pull as much out as you'd like so that you can make a further distance. Um, So for those of you who are, just keep doing that and you can, I think you can listen at the same time. Uh, For those of you who are uh, just dying with curiosity about what is happening tonight um, as far as it relates to the conversation that we'll be having later in our groups, tonight we are going to uh, try something old and something new. So we are going to uh, number off into discussion groups that we will retain for the rest of the year together, so males and females. And then, because it worked so well last week, it is going to be a self-led discussion. So some of you will find a piece of paper on a chair with the questions if you choose to proceed, you can sit in that chair, and then you will get to be the first person to ask the questions, or ask the first question for the night. So last week, notice, we didn't have any discussion leaders, and the discussion went swimmingly. Everyone was just chattering it up so much that they were disgruntled when we had to come back together. So uh, tonight, we're going to try something new and something old. We're not going to have designated discussion leaders, and for some people, that's really uncomfortable, and that's okay. Okay. Uh, but we will break into discussion groups um, later. So this clearly is going so much worse than I anticipated. (laughs) So much worse than I anticipated. In my mind, we were going to volley the yarn throughout the space, and it was going to be this fabulous web of yarn interchanging and interconnecting all of us. It should have been, you know, you got to just leave it to your mom to tell you what you should have done right and how it would have been differently. Uh, Part of why I wanted to do this is there's this wonderful image that when we look at Scripture and reading Scripture together, this image of pulling threads from fabric and seeing uh, what happens. Also, there is this uh, imagery of the interconnectedness of Uh, The engagement of the community in reading scripture together. So that when one person, like say Bennett, who's sitting right here, when he pulls on the string, it affects the whole web of the string that is our group reading of scripture. So um, You can feel free to stop this (laughs) terrible exercise that I have. Val, now you can choose to scare someone else. You're like, I've suffered through this enough. So what I wanted to do was tonight, um, other than start out with this failed exercise, <laughs> is I'd love to hear uh, from, from maybe a few folks about what stuck out to you in the assignment of listening to or reading through the gospel in one sitting. Sal, you missed One of the biggest failures of a Wednesday (laughs) night to this point. So some things that stuck out to you in either the listening to or the reading of the Gospel of Matthew uh, in this last week. Oh, snarkiness of Jesus. Do you have an example? uh, Hmm. So the oh you of little faith and chastising the Pharisees, calling them names. Phil's the only one that did the assignment? <laughs> I like the devil having the audacity to challenge Jesus and uh try to uh persuade him to break any of the commandments. So the the devilishly good part right at the beginning. Yeah. 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 All the Old okay. All the Old Testament stuff. He talked a lot. Jesus talked a lot. Yes, he does. <laughs> Other observations? Yes. Guys, okay, so how Matthew was imploring the listener got it to the radical call that Christ has placed on their lives. Good. Other uh, thoughts? the pacing was too fast. Gil? Sure. It wasn't just here's the answer. That's right. Huh, fascinating technique. very straight up, this is what I expect and if if it comes across as snarky or radical because maybe that's hard for us to live up to Mm. and I don't know it's it's our Lord telling us what he expects out of us high expectations yeah Yeah. sure that's the beauty I mean Anyone else can hopefully we can resonate with some of these things. Uh, you're like, "Oh, that was what I was going to say." yeah, okay i can I can vouch for that. Um, and it's it's so important for us to share these things because we do hear things and read things in different ways, and to see the fully orb picture requires multiple hearers and multiple uh, participants, and so. Just want to encourage us to continue uh, as we walk this journey together um, through this gospel of Matthew. So thank you for, for the contributions. So tonight we're going to go through chapter uh, one, and uh, if you picked up the questions that were out on the table, on the back side uh, is the schedule, if you are those that want to uh, keep up on where, where we're going uh, week by week, so... The expectation would be that we would read what's coming up each week in advance of being here together in, the, in this room, um, so just kind of go with that. So this is what Matthew says at the beginning. He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jehoiakim, uh, Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim and Achim the father of Eliud and Eliud the father father of Eleazar and Eleazar the father of Matthan and Matthan the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary of whom Jesus who is called Jesus was born who is called the Christ so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So we have uh, this thrilling genealogy to start off with. Now it's interesting because literally the words uh, at the beginning are the beginning of Jesus. And so Matthew starts off the beginning of Jesus Christ or the life of Jesus Christ. So if you're a first century Jew or new, new converted Christian from Judaism, and you hear in the beginning or the beginning of, there are going to be some things that are immediately churning in your head. One being well, this sounds a lot like the First Testament. <laughs> and I think it's an interesting thing. We've been, uh, you can play around with this a little bit uh, if you like, if you want to join in on the fun. Rather than calling it the Old Testament, we can refer to it as the First Testament. So the listener hears, well, this sounds a lot like the First Testament or the beginning of the Hebrew Scriptures that we've been listening to for generations upon generations upon generations. Likewise, it ties together Matthew and John, when John says, in the beginning. So we have this interesting beginning of this uh, story about Jesus Christ. Uh, One of the commentators today, uh, Friedrich Bruner, says, uh, The Bible is not about the Bible. (laughs) I was like, wait, what? The Bible is not about the Bible. And I thought that was an interesting thing. Matthew isn't writing about the Bible. He's writing about the life of Jesus Christ. So he gives us right away three or two key players within the nation of Israel. Because again, we have to remember who would have been the audience that would have been hearing this in the first place. Many of them would have been Jews who had converted to Christianity or who had become Christ followers. And so when they hear about David, they immediately think about his kingship and that Jesus, being the son of David, would be the heir to the throne. May the queen rest in peace, right? One of the things that somebody said is, I loved last week because we laughed so much. So again, I give you permission to feel free to laugh as much or as little I suppose needs to be worth laughing at. So then, the son of Abraham, and immediately, what comes to mind? Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Father Abraham. So I have to ask: Do we do we stick out our tongue during that repetition? Do we spin around? The people in Detroit, where they're like, we don't stick out our tongue or spin around. I'm like, well, clearly you haven't experienced the full greatness of Father Abraham. One of the interesting things about the inclusion of Abraham is that Abraham, when he was born and God creates this covenant with him, he wasn't initially a Jew. And oftentimes we think of Abraham as a Jew because he becomes the father uh, of Judaism. But he is not initially a Jew uh, it, when God makes his covenant with him. So as we go, we get this list of fathers of, which is an interesting way to do the, um, to do the genealogy. And we get um, what Amy Bird refers to as uh, gynocentric interruptions. If you were sleeping, you're no longer sleeping. It's the introduction of women into a story that is predominated, or predominantly male. Within an ancient Near Eastern genealogy, you would not include a female within the story, and certainly, if you're going to create a genealogy about, say, the Messiah, you probably wouldn't include uh, the individuals that that Matthew uh, includes at first blush. So the first female that he introduces is Tamar, and for those of us who know the story of Tamar, um, well, she has a bit of, uh, as Morris says, morally dubious reputation. (laughs) So Tamar uh, is known to sleep with her father-in-law under the cover of what he deemed was a prostitute. And if that wasn't scandalous enough, the next uh, person that we get within the lineage of Jesus, the next uh, female that we get is Rahab, who we know was a prostitute. She harbors uh, the Israelite spies, right, with the whole red cord thing, uh, Again, Rahab is not a Jew. And then, I mean, who wasn't excited when they read Obed and they're like, oh, I know who that guy is from last year studying Ruth. And again, what was the big signature about Ruth? Yeah, how dare, how dare Ruth the Moabite be included within the nation of Israel. And now here she is within the genealogy Of the Savior. And then the next female that's included, she isn't included by name, and many uh, surmise that Matthew wants to point out that she wasn't David's wife to begin with. She was the wife of somebody else who was faithful, and David chose to take her for his own wife after killing her husband, and she gives birth to uh, their son. Bathsheba is the name. And then we skip down and we go to uh, Mary being the last female who is included within this genealogy. Now, as we have talked, there is an interesting thing that we always want to keep in front of our minds. We have to ask ourselves, what is Matthew trying to do throughout the story of his gospel? What is Matthew trying to communicate to us through Uh, what we would deem as the narrative arc of his story. And then as we come to a particular instance, and when we are trying to understand that instance, if that instance or event fits within the overall narrative arc that we are trying to work through, then that's probably a quality interpretation of that incident, that teaching, that event. If it doesn't fit within the narrative arc, we either have to retrace and recreate what we think Matthew is trying to do throughout the entire gospel, or we have to reinterpret what this event is. Well, one of the things that we're going to keep coming back to over and over is that the gospel of Matthew is about Jesus coming in to the earth, becoming incarnate, so that Humanity can be reconciled to God. And not just the Jews, but all people. And not just all good people, all people, period. So, if that is one of the key components of the narrative arc, when we look at these names of these individuals, we see foreigners, we see people with scandalous pasts, we see people who have experienced terrible things, who maybe have chosen to do things that um, certainly we wouldn't think was the best decision at the time. And all those people within that genealogy, or in particular, the, the four women that we're talking about because they're, they stand out the most because they shouldn't really be in there, all of them are within the line of our Savior. Therefore, the conclusion is, Jesus is seeking to reconcile all people. Not just the Jews, not just the best people, but all people together to himself. So as we read these things, oftentimes we either want to skip over or we just want to like, let's move on. Uh, But Matthew has chosen to use a fair amount of ink to communicate to us how he wants to set up the rest of his story. Now, the challenge that exists within this is, for some of us, genealogies are not a big thing. For some of us, genealogies are a big thing. And what I want us to think about tonight is, maybe genealogies haven't been a big thing within your lineage, within your family lineage, but who are the spiritual Mothers and fathers that have existed within your life that have brought you to where you are today within your faith. Now, this happens to be from my actual grandmother, uh, but my aunt put this together, and it's all about my grandma's faith and engagement with church. And so I look back at this, and I'm reminded that my faith stands on the shoulders of my grandmother's faith, and certainly um, my mother's faith, and my other family members who've gone before me who have set the stage for my faith to be here. Um, I don't remember if any of you can think back to when we did Food and Faith. It was in the old room. Uh, we read this book by uh, Diana Butler Bass. And she has uh, this really interesting quote. She says, She uh, ancestry is more than pedigree it is a handing down of patterns of faith doubt joy and despair to understand these patterns and their interrelatedness of sadness and even sin and often open it and even sin often opens new paths of mental emotional and spiritual healing so even if we aren't going to go out and do 23 and me There's an interesting thing to be done within our spiritual genealogy to understand where we are at um, today. So Matthew gives us this rendition, and he says, So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Well, that's not actually true. <laughs> because we know that he takes great liberty within his right as the creator of the gospel of Matthew. He is giving us a nice package of 14s. 14, 14, 14, 14s. Thank you. Appreciate it. If you count the second or the third set of 14s, it's not actually 14, it's only 13. So, was Matthew um, not a good counter, except we know he was a tax collector? Or is he trying to do something that we miss because we are so caught up in either not reading well? Like, oh yeah, it's genealogy. Okay, yeah, we'll just take your word for it. Or is he trying to communicate something much differently than the literal 14-ness that exists within these different generations, which causes us to ask the question, what do we do when we encounter what we perceive as an error within Scripture? So when we come across a piece of Scripture like this, and you know, for, for any of you, maybe one of us that counted, like, okay, this isn't right. So is what is Matthew communicating wrong, or again, are we missing it? When we come to what is perceived as an error in Scripture, Maybe it's not an error. Maybe it's an intentional thing to get our attention so that we can ask deeper questions about what is God trying to communicate to us through his word. A lot of us don't really like that. So he goes on. Again, feel free. Last week we had loads of great questions, lots of excitement, lots of energy. So if you've got a question... Just be bold. We know it can can happen. There's a possibility of great boldness that can happen on a Wednesday night. Feel free. I'm not going to get upset. I promise. Verse 18, we're going to continue. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, Matthew starts us off into what we would perceive as uh, the real beginning of of the the narrative or, or of the story. And he starts us off with the name Jesus Christ because of the importance of, we're about to talk about the story of the Messiah. And he sets it up by saying that Mary and Joseph were engaged, but they had not come together, meaning they were not technically married. Because there would be this huge, long engagement where, okay, they're betrothed to one another, but there's still a long process before they actually become married. But it's sort of like they're legally married, but they're not technically married. And so not until they're technically married are they going to uh, engage in sexual intercourse. But before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. That's it! (laughs) You're like, can we read the Luke version? Because that's a lot more interesting. Like, if you're reading the Christmas story around the Christmas tree on Christmas Eve, you're not reading Matthew's account. Like, that's it? Hello? There has to be more to the story. Well, Matthew doesn't want us to get bogged down in the details. What he wants us to know is this concise reality that Mary, who is the mother of Jesus, is in an engaged relationship, so to be found with child is going to put her in a status that is not favorable within the Jewish context. So again, as we talked about with the other individuals, the other women within the genealogy, Mary is immediately moved into a scandalous status. And yet she is the human being through which Jesus is going to be born. Likewise, Matthew tells us that it's from the Holy Spirit. Well, we sit on this side uh, of the story and we're like, oh yeah, of course, the Holy Spirit. But remember, the the hearer in the first century to hear about the Holy Spirit would have had loads of information with it. Because these are the people that experienced Pentecost after you know the whole resurrection thing. Then they're all together in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. So when they hear that this is from the Holy Spirit, There isn't a question. There isn't like, but is it really from the Holy Spirit? They would immediately know the power that resides within the Holy Spirit to make something like this happen. So right away, within the beginning of this narrative, Matthew is giving us a Trinitarian picture of how God functions to bring about the kingdom that he desires to establish in this world. So we have Jesus, the Son, being brought about by the Holy Spirit. And for many of us throughout, we've talked about this maybe at nauseum, the role of the Holy Spirit is an undervalued role within our uh, faith tradition. And so oftentimes when we've maybe read this before, we're like, yeah, 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 whatever, the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, all that, let's just move on. But Matthew wants to inform us of what is taking place within the birth narrative of Jesus Christ. Did you have a question? Yeah, so Joseph, we're going to get there. I appreciate you're like, let's not overly focus on Mary. Let's focus on Joseph, and we will. We'll talk about that in a second. So we have Mary experiencing this through the Holy Spirit. But that's all we get about her. We get this one verse that Mary, who is engaged to Joseph, is pre- uh, pregnant with Jesus because of the Holy Spirit. We don't get the whole Magnificat. We don't get all of the interesting things that we get in the other Gospels about Mary's response. We simply get the facts that she is pregnant and it's because of the Holy Spirit. And then Matthew tells us about Joseph. He, decide, he being a just man and willing and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So he wants to take care of the situation and just let things go easily. Notice, okay, if you remember from reading or listening, divorce is something that comes back up later in the text, and Jesus is asked about divorce and the whole certificate of divorce and all that. So Matthew introduces this concept of divorce right out of the gate, and then Jesus addresses it much later. We can often miss that. So, Joseph is ready to to go about his business and divorce Mary. Uh, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Again, another reference to the Holy Spirit right out of the gate. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people. That's what Jesus means. God saves his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called him his name Jesus. Do you ever have like really, really weird dreams? <laughs> Last night I, I had and I have some shockingly vivid dreams. And oftentimes they're induced by sugar. And I know this because I've gone for long swaths without eating sugar. And then you eat sugar in copious amounts. And then you wake up as if you've been at a technicolor rave and have ingested other substances that are not legal to purchase, possess, or consume in any state. So Joseph has this dream what? More sugar? (laughs) <laughs> which begs the question, how does God choose to communicate with his people when he wants to get his people's attention? And so one way we can say, well, it wasn't an actual dream. Well, why is that our first go-to? Well, because God, God just doesn't do that. Except we know with great certainty that God is continuing to use dreams to bring uh, people within the Muslim faith and within deeply Muslim countries to faith through dreams. Today, like right now in this time frame. So to say that this wasn't an actual dream Why not? If God is communicating to people today through sleeping dreams, I'm making the distinction here, through dreams that are, occur in our minds and our lives at night, why he does that today, why would he not have done this back then to Joseph? And oftentimes our response to that question reveals some, some deep theological challenges that we have with miracles, with dreams, with how uh, the voice of God has been interpreted in our own lives throughout our history. So I acknowledge that. But it asks us the question, how does God choose to communicate with us Today? And when God does choose to communicate with us in a particular way, how do we then use the community of faith in which we reside? How do we use God's word to understand what God is trying to communicate to us? Because it's very important if we feel like God is trying to communicate us to us something, This isn't a Lone Ranger event. (laughs) And I think we talked about this last year in the classic Christian college debacle of God told me that we should get married. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Unless it was in a, never mind. Yes. Yes. Yeah, do we have any other information that Joseph was this man of great faith that would just immediately respond to the movement of the Holy Spirit in his life? We really don't. Other than the fact that Matthew wants us to know that he, Joseph, resides within the lineage of David. So he's got some serious pedigree within his own family of uh, faith. The other thing is, and I want us to, to pay attention to this as we go, we get this immediate response, as you pointed out. So he wakes up in verse 24, and he immediately is obedient. It says, Joseph woke up, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. There's no, he thought about it for three days. There's no, Joseph, knowing the story of Gideon, took a fleece and set it out to see if God was really sure that he was communicating these things. There was no casting of lots. There was no, uh, let me fast on this. There was no, hey, I think God's working in your life. Well, let me pray about it, which means I really don't want to do this. And so I'm going to pretend that I'm spiritual when I know that God is actually calling me to be obedient. That is going to be a theme that Matthew uses as he stitches together this narrative. Those of great faith respond immediately, and the call then is for those who are followers or disciples of Jesus Christ. When God talks to us or communicates to us or calls us to do something, there is not a delay. There is an immediate response and an immediate step and action of obedience. And within that, Matthew takes, and he, knowing, okay, Matthew, knowing the Old Testament, knowing the story of Isaiah, he takes and he says, I think that what Isaiah was saying way back in his time fits within this narrative perfectly. And so he gives us this Isaiah quote about the fulfillment of what God is doing through these Prophecies. And he gives us uh, you know, this footnote in case we in case you're wondering, God is uh, with us, and that's what God or Emmanuel means. So again, don't miss the Trinitarian intro that we're getting to the life of Jesus. This isn't just about the life of Jesus. This is about God working on earth to bring about His kingdom through His Son and His spirit. And so that we can overlook that. I want to keep pushing us to the forefront of seeing how God is doing that to bring about his kingdom and what is His king, kingdom going to look like? Well, he's already painted this interesting picture about these people and these who are Happen to be women whose society would reject, Matthew chooses to elevate. And Craig Blomberg uh, says this in his commentary as one of these themes of Matthew. He says, uh, So it is not merely, it is not enough merely to minister to the oppressed. We must find ways of exalting them and affirming their immense value in God's eyes. So Blomberg's take on this genealogy is that Matthew doesn't just acknowledge the oppressed. He takes the oppressed and he elevates them. And that's going to be something that Jesus chooses to do throughout his life and as we'll see uh, throughout the rest of this gospel. Okay. Uh, any other questions? Yes. Is it that Joseph and the disciples acted immediately, or was their inner contemplation not important? Is it that they acted immediately, or that their their processing was not important? So, uh, that is a great question. Anyone else feeling that question as we've been talking about this? Jesus gives us a parable that sheds light on this question. Anyone remember it? Excuse me? Yes. It's about the two sons... And the father says to the one son, go and work in my field. And the son says, I will. And then he doesn't. Or is it the other way around? Yeah, he says, go work in my field. And he says, I won't. And then he goes and does it anyways. And then the other son says, I will. But then he doesn't. And Jesus is saying, who is better? Or who is right? So talking about is it about the contemplation and the um, willingness, or is it the actual activity? And so that's something we're going we're gonna to talk about. The question that I would pose back to you, Phil, is what role does timing play within the narrative of Matthew, and so how does our interpreting of the response and the non-contemplation fit within Matthew's overarching narrative? And that's what we're going to kind of explore along the way. Good question. All right, so um, for those of you who have never been here before, we are now going to do...